Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Here with Benji Nyson for stage 15 of the Tour de France 2021. The show is supported by Lacole. Actually, my head's getting hot. I just got some merch from uh, went to watch the stage and they're handing out bucket hats. And I was like, I've got to get me one of those. They know they know the sort of thing I like to wear. Uh, but I didn't actually watch the finish. It was too hot. And also, I was too worried I'd miss the GC action if there was any. <laughs> but maybe uh, I was a bit, yeah, a bit too hopeful. Anyway, 191-kilometer stage. It starts with some rolling climbs. They don't look like too much in the profile because of the climbs they go to do later on. They don't do the Monte de Mont-Louis. Then they do a long drag up to the Port d'Anvilera in Andorra. 2,400 metres, the end of the Grange descent in the Col de Becchalis, which is quite hard, actually. 18-minute-plus climb. Uh, it's the last climb of the day, 8%. There's some 12% sections there. Then the descent into Andorra La Vela for the finish. Strong headwind on the um, main long climb of the day, unfortunately, and the descent. And, uh, yeah, pretty hot. But Benji, monster break full of big names today. But no real GC. No, no one did the GC leapfrog today either. Yes, indeed. And... um. It didn't start off as a monster break. It was one person, one man army starting off early on, a rider that usually is known for the breakaways, but hasn't really been able to uh, catch one this year so far in the Tour de France. And it was Thomas Hent who went on the attack, one of the first riders in the peloton. And he kept that up for a while, had a, a 30 second lead at a certain point with other people behind trying to attack as well, because we knew it's going to be more than one person. Too many riders and too many teams are willing to do something with this kind of stage. And they know that if they wait a tiny bit, then there are hills, like you mentioned. And on those hills, you see that the other group started forming. Kreisweg, Dan Martin, Julian Bernard. We've got Ruben Guerrero, Aurelien Parepantre, Thomas Jens, eventually also in that group when he was caught by that group. And Dylan Turns and Sergio Renau was the initial group. And a bit later, we saw another move. And then it became interesting because we've seen Jumbo attacked multiple times here. First of all, with Wout van Aert. Then at a certain point, Sipka started attacking. We know that Kreisweg wasn't the initial move. And right now, we've got a situation where Kreisweg is indeed in that group one. And the second group was van Aert, Gus, Castroviejo, Van Barle, Woods, Nibali, Elisson, the Alaphilippe, Ovade, Postelberger, Godu, Madua, Fernandez, Quintana, Donovan, Pools, Matthews, Izaguirre, Aturan, Bonamur. <laughs> what a crazy break. But first notes, we've got satellite riders. Three riders of Jumbo ahead of the peloton. We've got Turnison still left for the Onos. Is that enough? I mean, like, to, to do what on these climbs? To pace? I mean, no, it's not. But the pace is really, really slow uh, today. So Turnison was there for a while. So was Cavendish. Cavendish only got dropped with like 53 k's to go because Benji's just described that break. Closest person 24 minutes on GC. UAE parked at Parkett. In fact, Benji and I thought they could have gone even slower. They were yeah. keeping it at like eight, nine minutes. I was like, let it go to 15 minutes. Don't even worry Plenty about it. even like. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, they're still in the time cuts. Yeah, quite yeah, a <laughs> they, they, they were still, yeah, I was like, I don't know what you're, what you're worried about. So it was really easy in the group apparently that people said afterwards, really easy until like 
the burst at the end, the inevitable burst at the end. Uh, so is it enough? Well, if he has a puncture after Turnison's dropped, if he wants the pace to increase, I mean, we'll talk about it afterwards. He has a crash once again, for example. He has a crash. He's crashed like four times. Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, and just because that didn't happen doesn't mean it's necessarily the sensible thing to do. I mean, do you need do you need Kreuzweich in that break? I don't really think so, to be honest. I think it's a risky get- move, but I think the counterpoint towards this is that if you don't have Kreuzweich in the breakaway and his form is like the rest of the Tour de France, right, then he's not going to be there halfway to Port d'Anvalier. So, True. yeah, that's the counterpoint to that. He's not good enough, I think, to stay in the peloton either at the moment. Anyway, speaking of hot, high-altitude mountain climbs, our show partner, Le Col, they produce performance cycling apparel in Italy at the base of Monte Grappa, and they've got the mountain air collection. It's been selling like hotcakes. Apparently, Benji and I are lucky to get some. If you want to pick up some of that new mountain air kit or their new lightweight collection, you can use code LRTDF20 for 20% off during the Tour de France, LRTDF20. Uh, but Benji... Apart from that, it was pretty simple. The two big breakaway groups joined, and then FDJ started pacing with Armirail, I think, uh, yeah. for, for David Godou, Madoua after him. Entire we stage. Poor, poor bastard. Poor man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty bad for Armirail. Anyway, they, they're at the front. They're getting some camera time. I went to check out the finish, um, and, yeah, took a photo, and I was like, nah, not going to be able to see. Like, because the way that it was designed, they come in and then they do a left, 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 and you're going to see them descending at 70Ks an hour. It'd be a reduced group anyway. So I scouted it, and then I went promptly back home with my bucket hat. But, yeah, I thought with Ineos Benji, it was obvious with Dylan Lombard and Castrovieja up the road, they would want to then use them on the descent of Andalara, depending on whatever the weather was, and then Port Thomas and maybe Gagenhardt if he could – would pace on that climb. The question would be, would it be enough? And we saw Movistar actually, this is with the break up the road, the break is going to win, they've got like nine minutes. Movistar starting to pace with Garcia Cortina, but it did whittle the group down, Benji, but I mean, you could visibly see how strong that headwind was. Yeah, you could. And it was at that point already, but it was rumored to be at the end of the stage as well in the last 50 kilometers also headwind in certain places. So the attacks were, uh, well, things that we were hoping for, but didn't seem likely with that news. And we indeed see Movistar takeover. We saw, I think, Richie Port pretty early on on that, on that climb already setting up for uh, something. And we noticed in the break that Ineos was moving backwards in the group. And we saw Fambala and Castro moving backwards in the group, slowly but surely. And then certainly they were, at a certain point, the two last riders in the group. And it felt like they were simply waiting for the command. <laughs> when do we drop? Let's just keep ourselves here and then instantly yeah. drop. And it didn't <laughs> take that long. I think a few kilometers later, we saw them visibly dropping on the first move of someone in that group. I think Michael Woods went for it relatively early. A bit of information as a context is that this entire stage, we had breakaway fights between Fanart, Wildpools, and Woods for the KOM. Wout Fanart took most of them eventually in the sprint against the other two. And uh, I think Wildpool's got more points than Woods and is now leading again, but I'll have to check in a bit after the stage once yeah, we uh, is wrap leading. it up. He's okay. leading by, by eight points on Michael Woods. So 
yeah, that, that battle, it's actually been, I've quite enjoyed it. I mean, yep, they're, they're foregoing stages, but it's really fun. Now, well, I'm fine. I was getting involved in it, sprinting yeah. at the top of these. And yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even the craziest sprint. Well, Wild Pools did beat Wild Fanat at one of the sprints, <laughs> but I think that was more a positioning issue than nice an actual sprinting anyway. issue. Wild Pools actually has a decent sprint. Like, <laughs> he does. No jokes. <laughs> and the funniest sprint was at the intermediate sprint because Matthews was also in the break and Matthews went for the intermediate sprint. And towards the end, in his usual being decides yeah i want i want to sprint for this i want the money <laughs> so he decides to sprint for it and almost beats malcolm matthews at the intermediate sprint but hey let's go back to the uh the action the breakaway and the gc breakaway headwind was there's there's one section where they go from block headwind turn right had a hairpin this is at the end of the climb we're over 2300 meters altitude we've had most of the break dropping we really just have Godu, valverde coos and Naira Quintana there and Woods as well. And Quintana's attacked once. He attacks again this time with the tailwind as he goes round the hairpin. He gets a, a pretty solid gap, actually. Uh, it was the right moment to attack. And if, if anyone in the GC group wanted to, that would be where they would do it. And he goes over the top of the Henry de Grange on his own with a decent gap. The problem is this is like the main highway into Andorra from the French side. It's super wide fast ascent and he's got a blockhead wind and he's like 50 57 kilos so behind him he basically had uh, it didn't show the break for ages benji by the way it just didn't, it didn't show yeah. the break for ages but we presume wild van Aert got on the front and he just started mashing it for coos and he was in a group of yeah. like eight riders valverde and coos and godu being the most notable in that group and they caught quintana pretty easily so that was a bad sign for gc and in gc we saw no attacks we saw it, it was it was really sad actually. It was, it was, I, f- I felt really bad for them. We we saw Dylan Van Baal. They go. The, the camera angle is at the crest or below the crest of the the tallest climb of the Tour de France. You see Van Baal and Castroviejo waiting, looking behind expectantly, and they see a group of like ten, fifteen GC riders led over by Thomas, I think, or whoever it was. Instead um, of Carapaz alone, and the sad has arrived Car- on their face. Yeah, and Postiberger <laughs> was there too, I think, for a Kelderman attack, which, I mean, Jesus. But, well, um, that's very hopeful. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> yeah, those poor guys. And so but they basically. Oh, yeah. Benji, describe the aerodynamics. So Martin did get dropped. The pace from Ineos yep. was reasonable. Hey, his aerodynamics on this descent was something to, uh, yeah, wasn't great. Yeah, basically, he had his jacket open the entire time. And you know that. Once you get over the crest with like, oh, let's say 10, 15 seconds behind the group of uh, the Ineos riders, you've got Castro and Van Barle now pacing like a madman at the front of the Carapaz group, and you are behind that. And there's no one with you to really help. And you've got a shirt of coffee open, so you're basically having a parachute on this descent, which is obviously not going to work well arrow-wise, and that's not going to help you get to them much quicker and when I saw that, the second that I saw that he was riding the descent with a jacket open against two Ineos riders going ham on the descent, I knew he's going to lose minutes today. And the <laughs> advantage he built yesterday, it's gone already. <laughs> I mean, there was even a flat section where he could do the jacket up and he's like, nah, it, uh, <laughs> I, want, I want my jersey open. They're going 105. Gross like topped out at 105 k's an hour on this descent. And it's like at 30 k's an hour, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But I think at 105, it actually does, especially when you're trying to pedal afterwards. But anyway, as with yesterday, as you could probably expect or you understand from the groups and the headwind, the race promised a lot. 
that kind of petered, uh, petered out GC-wise. Lar- Largish group at this point. All the contenders there, apart from Guillermo Martin, if you want to be generous to him. And it was really about who was going to win from the break. We saw Wout pacing for Coos. Kroosvike had gone back. I think he'd been dropped and he was in the Yama Visma group. Wout Van pacing on the descent in the valley for Coos. And that suggests straight away Benji was getting very nervous with money on Wout Van Aert that well, Coos was, Coos was there, man. influence my mood. <laughs> in all honesty it doesn't influence my mood and uh i was uh i was already seeing some weakness throughout the stage for van art i wasn't sure because on the port d'enval you know he was jumping from wheel to wheel and it was really impossible to see whether he did that on purpose or but he was actually dropping at that point but he eventually out sprinted everybody on that climb which means that i thought okay he still got the energy but they specifically chose to use about van art in the descent to catch back with a quintana move that happened at the top and in all honesty, it it uh it went pretty well because he called back up and then he didn't really keep on pacing too hard. He just like switched around with a few people and relayed and because was indeed their man. And on paper, the initial part of this bachelor's climb is definitely one that fits because the uphill section there. He also lives in the area, but that counts for like half the peloton. Whenever anybody brings that up, it's <laughs> like, know. yeah, he lives in the area. So he knows he, everybody knows these climbs. Thank everybody you. lives there. Benji, I, I know the climbs around here better than Tadej Pogacar. I've done, I've done this climb, so really, you're gonna win you, the tour, mate. If you just put me in, I would have dropped him today. That's how it works. If you yeah, just know yeah. the climbs, but I think it actually did help a little bit. You know, joking aside, it did help a little bit on the descent afterwards. So they get to the final climb. Race got five minutes. Coos doesn't attack straight away. He doesn't attack straight away. It's Quintana who attacks again. Undertaker Gif comes back from the dead, attacks again. Then he gets gets dropped. Valverde's looking good. He's marking moves. Godu tries something, gets dropped pretty quickly. And it sends Sepp Kuss with Val- Valverde's on the front a little bit. And then Kuss attacks pretty hard. Valverde's on his wheel. And then you just see the gap open up. And I was thinking, has Kuss gone too early? Is it like Catalonia again? But he was motoring. He opened that gap up to like 28, 29 seconds. We had some Italian time gaps today, unfortunately, but seemed to be pretty consistent at 25 to 28. Italian time gaps. <laughs> Valverde was, yeah, he just he, he clearly had to ride his own pace. Kuss was way too strong, and the plan for yep. Jumbo Visma to go for the stage was working. They get to the top. Kuss has still got a 25-second gap. He knows the descent. He did, I think he did the descent about the same time as Valverde, maybe quicker. I think quicker on the descent, actually, because he posted up at the end and, yeah, keeps that 25, 28-second gap and wins in Andorra, La Vela, where he lives for a lot of the year, Sepp Kuss, uh, lives near me, actually, and, yeah, beats Valverde, the old hat, at who's 23 seconds behind him. Walt poles with another good sprint for third. Then Izaguirre, Guerrero, Quintana, Guru, Martin, Bonamor. Bonamor's actually been quite good, Benji. And yeah, Patapancha, 10th. Uh, Nibali, 11th. Alaphilippe, not looking... Yeah, just, just not looking as, you know, that top-class climbing level at the moment. It's a little bit too hard for him. He came 12th, Powell's 13th. But Benji, GC group attacks. Ineos tried pace in the last climb. I'll cut it short. Carapaz tried once. Pagacha closed it easily. Vingegaard attacked. Pagacha closed it easily. And then they stopped. O'Connor tried a couple of times. Kelderman shut him down. And then got dropped a little bit. And um, they all finished in a group. So it is... Should we expect anything else really from these guys when most of the stage has been super easy for them? Well, I wouldn't say that all stages have been easy for them, but I would say that on most this of parkour, this stage. 
on this park, we weren't expecting more. We said it yesterday that we were expecting action from the GC riders on the final climb because beforehand didn't really fit. I was a bit hopeful, of course, during this age. Ooh, might be fun if they try and attack on the Porto Valira, but nope, that didn't happen. And yeah, it was some, somewhat how we expected it. We expected the stage to not be the most important one for GC, and it turned out to be that way. And I think there's more important ones coming with like... Uh, for example, Porte on stage 17 and on 18, Luzardiden. Those are the two ones I'm looking for because they've got an actual uphill finish. I know, yeah. The ascent finishes really reduce the incentive to try so much. And then the he- the headwind really nullified the long-range yeah. attacks. That headwind just stuffed this stage completely. Also, Pogaccio looked, in my opinion, way more comfortable than on Ventoux. And the pace wasn't as Ineos paced a lot harder throughout the day. And so there is a question, Benji, that we should answer, which is Jumbo Visma not riding for Jonas at all today. They're pretty much leaving him isolated. He is so far behind Tade Pagacha. The, the GC standings, pretty much all the gaps are the same. Pagacha over five minutes ahead of everyone else. The only dropout is Martha going down to ninth. But, yeah, this is what Vingegaard said to the Danish reporters straight after the stage. He said uh, it was a special stage because the break went. This is a transcription for someone in my Discord, so maybe wrong, but should be right. He's Danish. It was a special stage because the break went, and at the time it was actually pretty tough. But after the break went, it was ridden at a calm pace, and I don't think it was that tough. It was probably not to my advantage. I had probably hoped it was a little bit more emaciating today than it actually was me speaking, like the Ventoux stage when Ineos paced. Now him again, it was more like, what do you call it, a big power output at the end instead of being busted up during the stage. I like it when we've ridden a long day and everyone's toast at the end. Then the reporter asked him, but then you should have had some teammates with you to set the pace. I know it's hard to discuss when it went as it did, i.e. Coos winning. Vingard said, yeah, it's tough. Also, because if you wanted to try something early on, then you would have needed someone out front because the descents are super fast here. So you would lose so much of the peloton. It wouldn't make any sense if you didn't have anyone out front. And yeah, we won the stage and I'm, I'm happy for Coos. So what, is there anything to read into that, Benji? Well, I think that if you look at how they played this, they had three people in the breakaway. They specifically chose to go for the stage, which is not a bad thing to do, but it shows us that at least for me, that they are aiming for a podium and not to try and put pressure on Pogacar, which I somewhat understand. Like, I understand that. Like, they want to get as much out of this tour as possible, but they think that this is a more realistic goal than winning the Tour de France right now. And I think that Vingegaard in itself will do well for a podium, even if he's isolated. But the problem there is... What if he has a crash or what if he has a puncture, stuff like that? If, if, for example, in that in that descent or towards the end of, of the climb, there he had Kreisbeck already. But if it happens earlier, the cars were not directly behind the elite group. So good luck trying to get back while Movistar and Ineos are pacing like a madman at the front of that group to try and launch Carapaz, who doesn't launch eventually because Castro and Van Barlow are there then. Yeah, stuff like that. It's, it's always dangerous. There wasn't... There's always that tiny danger, but like in hindsight, everything worked out perfectly. They had Kreisbeck drop back at the exact perfect time to be useful at the top and in the descent of the Port d'Envalera. We had Wout van Aert drop just at the bottom of the Bachelis to be useful in the descent of the Bachelis. So that's all perfect. So in the end, the stage worked perfectly for a rider that is playing relatively 
defensively. But on the other hand, he tried on the last climb and he couldn't drop them. If he had dropped them... The pace was too low. Yeah. Ineos, Ineos did it pacing and they did it slower than Coos, who'd been in the break all day. The pace yeah, was exactly. Castro pacing. It was like on Vontu. And so the question for me is, Coos' fantastic stage win today. He's now on a stage of the mm-hmm. Tour de France and the Vuelta. Where was he four days ago on Mont Ventoux in similar weather? That could have made a huge difference for Jonas Vingegaard. And now today he's won the stage. Uh, he wasn't there on Ventoux. Maybe that's just bad legs. That seems to be what happened. He had good legs today. Um, but yeah, it seems like Jonas, if he needs, wants to get a gap, he needs them to needs someone to pace hard on the, the middle climb, harder than Ineos did, and maybe not have the unlucky headwind, and then actually pace harder on that last climb. Because it basically was Ineos pace with Castro, not really dropping anybody at all. Carapaz attacks once, pace stalls completely. Jonas tries a couple of times when everyone's looking at each other and the pace hasn't been high. So yeah, it's a shame for him. But again, as Benji said, to get on the podium, Jonas doesn't need to do anything from here till stage 20. Yeah, exactly. He's only 14 seconds behind Uran. I mean, he's still trying. Benji, at this point, I mean, what's even the point of him attacking today? I know that sounds ridiculous, but yeah, it's the last I, climb. I agree. Because, like, this guy is – he's a young rider. He hasn't had the experience of a three-week leadership. He's likely going to end up – having some limitation at some point in this Tour de France, most likely. So if you're at this point, you've got a rest day tomorrow, you've got a average mountain stage the day after with a flat ending. I think that you're going to try and save as much energy as possible until Col du Porte and then try and do the best climb of your life. Because I think if you're Jumbo, that is the day where you put everything on Jonas Vingego on yeah, the Col du Porte so. stage. I think once he got to... One code left on Bechel is you're not going to make significant time on Pogaccio, even if he, you know, whatever happens to him. You're right, Benji. Stage 17 really is the one. That's something find, we'll talk about in the recap tomorrow. Yes, sir. I just find it interesting to see how all the teams use their satellite riders differently. You've got Ineos, of course, who use it for the descent. And it wasn't the move where Carapaz attacked towards the satellite riders. It was just that they replaced the riders they spend on Port d'Envalira with the two riders that were up front and they had them for the next climb. So that was interesting. And then you have Movistar who decided not to use Fulverde. It would have been so funny if <laughs> they called him back. Just imagine, <laughs> just imagine if they that's called not, back Fulverde. That's not how that team works. Mate, we need Netflix content, okay? <laughs> imagine I need to watch a good Kuz series next him, season. They called him back to pay some marks. <laughs> maybe they did. The earpiece wasn't in. <laughs> would be so funny but like that's one of them i'm also kind of surprised that we didn't see well uran decided to try and go for an attack as well oh, you know what and was the, what was the he point? had guerrero and paulos at the front was it perhaps a plan to have paulos drop back if it works as well stuff like that like it's interesting to dissect what could have happened on the stage if gaps opened up but they didn't happen and that's the end of the story and i think that all in all yumbo must be very happy with what they did today they um, made a risky move, not having anyone with Vingigo for a portion of the stage, but it completely paid off. So, yeah. And, like, that's always a story, you know, because one bad move in a stage like this does not define the outcome. Like, having one rider in the peloton, perhaps, would have been less risky. But on the other hand, we don't know if that would have been 
super helpful if Kreisweg dropped after five kilometers on on the initial climb in the peloton instead of the breakaway then. So stuff like that is difficult to dissect. And I think all in all, they should be happy with their performance today. And when it comes to the next couple of stages, I think that they've still got opportunities to go in the breakaway again. Like on a stage 16, I wouldn't know what, if you need too many riders in the peloton, you like, I would put riders next to Vingegaard, but Avanard could try again on a stage 16, stuff like that. And then we have stage 17. Like I mentioned, that's the one. And that's the one where I expect them to work for Jonas because if they don't, then then I'd feel a bit sad. <laughs> All right, let's skip Yamba. I mean, Yamba Vision, they've got five riders left in the tour. They Any other team would be incredibly jealous of their how they're doing since Roglic left Arkea the Tour of France. has three. Arkea, oh, they got three Buani abandoned today. UAE, Benji, just quickly, they're not feeling – it's not mattered at all. Pikachu was looked bored yeah. on, the, on the last climb, but the team is not looking that good. Um, I even think there's some – like I think Bjerg and Co, they pace too hard sometimes and almost put themselves under pressure. Yeah, and um, there's yeah. more to that. Like at the start of the stage, they, they start off before the climb at the f- back of the peloton instead of the every front. Every day. And that's why they drop every time before they can do something. And like you mentioned, they pace too hard. Like today, it could have easily been 15 to 20 minutes for the breakaway. And by doing that, you are putting a Yumbo and an Ineos with satellite riders in the breakaway under pressure because then they're going to be like, oh, the gap is becoming fairly large now. If you want to call back Castor and Von Barla, they're going to have to wait 20 minutes by the side of the road. So the more that gap is without endangering your GC position, the better it is for UAE because they can, first of all, put pressure on the other teams for rethinking their strategy and perhaps Yumbo would have said oh we're going all out for the stage when if the gap is 15 minutes without calling too many people back and then you for example have well also more energy in the peloton because you're not spending as much if you don't pace as much the problem then is what are you going to do if the gap is 20 minutes and you're Mark Cavendish and you know that there's a climb coming are you going to put somebody at the front of the peloton if you're still in it to make sure that the gap to the break is not that large, so you don't drop 15 minutes from the peloton and BOTL. <laughs> oh, he was fine. When I saw him dropping, I was like, he must be laughing. He's got yeah. 50Ks to do with his whole team there. Yeah, that easy for him. So UA, I definitely think that stage, Benji and Mark stage 17, I don't have too much confidence in in that team at all. So that is one to really try Pagacha on. Ineos have the more fulsome team to do it, Benji. The problem for Ineos is... Carapaz is the problem. I think Ineos with, you know, Thomas crashing so much, Paul crashing, Gagan Hart crashing, they're still trying things, automating the race, making it harder when they can with that headwind. Carapaz just doesn't have the legs. And Inigo San Milan, the coach of Tati Pagacha, he wrote an article about this. It's quite interesting. Uh, talking about how, like, the power numbers, he basically called everyone complaining about Pagaccia a filthy casual who only tunes in for the Tour de France and didn't watch Torino Adriatico or any other race, which is half true, uh, to be honest, because the watts per kilo were nowhere near Prati de Tivo watts per kilo, where Yates was eight seconds behind Tare Pagaccia. And he was like, Pagaccia literally did like 5.9 under his threshold on team. And just no one followed him. And he was like, yeah, but- super weird. And so what I'm saying is, Benji, Carapaz's legs are not where they need to be. Yeah, but one counterpoint for that is that the day before we had, well, that same day, by the way, like an O'Connor and so forth, they, he was riding at more than 5.9, right? And the gap went down. 
Because hey. like, I'd like to see like the full math of like the riders compared to each oh, other. No, because- no. I, th- I think I think you'll be I think you're right in saying I think your coach is also being a bit disingenuous, and he he's picking the last ten minutes of the last stage in the at the end of three days of the hardest racing in the tour that I can remember in a row, and he's like, oh, the Wops per kilo weren't crazy at the end of that third stage. It's like, well, the fight for the break in the previous three stages. They've yeah. been fighting for five hours at maximum. O'Connor did 6.2 to get in the break for 20 minutes. So, like, yeah, of course the watts aren't that high at the end. I, I guess my point is, Benji, have you been disappointed by Carapaz? I think that I have because I would expect the Carapaz to be able to drop an Iran and so forth yeah. on a climb, and so far that hasn't happened. Is that because Iran is in better or more consistent form? It's hard to say. I don't think I so. Think, um, I think it's just very difficult because, like, the San Milan guy is is obviously like putting out the numbers and so forth, but that's not transparency all around. We don't know more than just what he says, and it's hard to delve a conclusion from what he says because he's talking about Tinia. But I'd like to see all the stages around it as well. I'd like to see more to be able to see whether the level is actually lower at the moment because it is. It is okay. The like the what's but the thing is, it's like well, the level is lower compared to say your maybe pick Adam Yates of Catalonia, but Adam Yates of Catalonia wasn't riding in ten degrees raining after a week of everyone crashing six times, not having teammates, and stage seven chasing a break. Like I think we're you know he didn't really take into account how hard stage seven was when he's like oh Pegatron Grand Bonand, he only did six. Yeah. 6.15 for this time that's normal for him but I'm like yeah but stage 7 was super hard and it's cold so that's maybe why everyone's not doing so well I think the problem for Carapaz is he attacks the gacha closes him okay mm-hmm. he can't drop the gacha and then he sits up and then you yeah. run and Keldon and catch yep. back up so he's kind of exactly. stuffed tactically uh, for the for the rest day yeah, who do you think is happiest after this second week Benji you think Uran I'd be super happy if I was Uran yeah of course if you're Uran then you're looking relatively happy i think also in general i i'd say that compared to last week i'd be happy if, if i'm yumbo in this situation last week they were completely disappointed with everything that happened and right now compared to relatively True. to last week i'd be very happy with the situation with the team you have two stage wins your guy is literally riding for the podium your youth talent that my dots yeah polka dots are close but not really caught yet so it's going to be curious where he's going to try and catch that back stuff like that and there's still opportunities left on the table so they can definitely still do stuff so if i'm young i'm pretty happy with this so far then when it comes to the other teams i'd say when you're in yours you're relatively disappointed right now you would have been more happier if you uh if you saw carapaz already with at least the strength to beat the riders surrounding him the fact that a kellen one is still still close so close to him yeah no connor the fact that lutsenko is within a minute and a half of him in gc Stuff yeah, like wow. that is uh, is something that I would not have expected beforehand. And he's one of the riders that, to my knowledge, has not crashed yet, I think. So no, on paper, so. he has that benefit compared to a lot of the riders surrounding him. And obviously, if you're Tadej Pogacar, you're very happy with what happened so far. And yeah, you're still uh, having Cruising. a similar lead to what you had <laughs> before this uh, before this week. So very uh, very cool to see so far. Controversial topic. If... And only if Primoz Roglic was here, you think he'd be able to compete with Pogacar? I think yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course he would have been able to. Like, it's 
as I said, though, I mean, of course, he might have also gotten a little bit cold on stage eight and had one of those days where he mysteriously his just vest is super cracks. Broken yeah, and, like, and his vest gets stuck in his back wheel and then he loses three minutes on a stage like Formigal. Okay. Yeah, that could have happened as well. So I think, but yeah, I think, as I said, the level is not crazy high. To think that Roglic has been neck and neck with Pogacar in every race, physiologically, not in terms of not crashing, but physiologically neck and neck for the last two years, sometimes beating him, sometimes losing to him, of course he would have been competitive. Um, well, if, if, and this is the big if, he didn't crash. It's like saying, I think Thomas would have been competitive too if he didn't crash. I think the yeah. way the yeah, stage, the way the race has played out meant that everyone was cooked by stage eight. All the main GC contenders, the big ones, were crashed out or abandoned and then Pogaccia just attacked and because there's no one on his wheel, you really see what he can do and Carapaz couldn't really perform at the level he needed to. But yeah, we'll talk about that more on the Rest Day podcast tomorrow. one final thing. Okay, <laughs> one final thing. We've seen now Nairo Quintana go in the attacks twice. He tries and goes for KOM and he always blows up. He always implodes. Yeah, and like much. it's like he doesn't know his limits. And we saw this on, today on Bechalis where he attacks twice and then he... Like, yeah, like... One minute later, he he's done for stuff like that, and it's just he he doesn't seem to know his limits, and it suddenly comes and he's done, and he attacks so much that I don't think he's gonna win KOM unless something no. odd happens to the other people. Wildpool is looking really good for that; he's still looking good, and Wildpool tends to grow in the race as well, so that does benefit him. I'd love it if Anat is sprinting against the other Wild for it quite a few times in the next couple of days, and I think that the rest of the topics can stay uh for tomorrow, but. All well, in all, Quintana today, he shouldn't have attacked on the. I know he tried high altitude. It's his opportunity. It's what he would have planned. But the headwind was so strong, he basically spent a lot of energy on the under the rock climb. And then yeah. who knows what he could have done. Could he have followed Coos? I doubt it. But maybe if he just didn't attack and tried to follow, he could have been able to. That doesn't seem to be his way. Any other topics? Not really. That's about it for now, oh. at least. All right. Tadipik, let us know down below. Is GC wrapped up? Is Tadipik actually going to win this Tour de France? Hot takes only. But otherwise, we'll see you with the rest day recap tomorrow. Ripple. Ciao. Yeah, Ripple. <laughs> Jesus. Sneaking that one in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 